Psalm 37, 1 through 7. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name's Aaron. I'm so glad you're here this morning, especially if this is your first time here at Trailhead. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, If this is your first time or if you haven't been here this summer, we've been going through the Psalms, the book of the Psalms right there in the center of your Bible. Uh, The Psalms, it's a unique book in the Bible because actually what it is, it's a song book. And there are 150 songs in here that were the songs that the Israelites would sing when they worshiped God together. And so as we read through these and study through these psalms, uh, these songs, what we see is they express deep emotions. They express deep thoughts and truths about God and about us and who we are. And so as we dive into Psalm 37 this morning, in order for all of us to kind of understand the the emotion and, and where King David, who wrote this, was coming from, I think to get us all sort of on the same page, I'm going to share something with you that um, is deeply, deeply personal. So bear with me. Um, I grew up in the 80s. Anybody here kind of a child of the 80s? Any? But Okay, a few. Thank you. I felt like I was all alone for a moment there. Uh, if you grew up in the 80s, especially as a boy growing up in the 80s, one of the, the most important things in the entire world to me was this. These are G.I. Joes, okay? That is a real American hero, G.I. Joe. These, I love these things, okay? These little three-and-a-half-inch action figures, I had like hundreds of them, and they were so awesome. But there was one more than any other that I just wanted so bad. I absolutely had to have this guy. This is Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes was so cool because he was a ninja and he was a soldier, okay? And if you don't understand why that is cool, I cannot help you, okay? I had to have snake eyes. That was the one that I wanted so bad. I I wanted that so bad, and I knew if I had that toy, I mean, all the others were, were great, but if I had that one, I would be happy, and I would be content, and I would really never have to have another G.I. Joe again if I had snake eyes, and then I got him. And it was awesome. It was amazing. It was so, I was so incredibly happy for about a day. And then I saw this. <laughs> and this is the hovercraft. And there's two things that make the hovercraft really cool. One is that that's a vehicle that can go on land and in water. And two, my cousin had it. And so I knew that I, if I wanted to truly be happy as a G.I. Joe collector, I absolutely had to have the hovercraft. And if I had the hovercraft, then, then I would be completely and totally fulfilled, completely and totally happy. And then my cousin got a little bit older and he decided he was too old for G.I. Joe's anymore. And he gave me his hovercraft. 
And I was so thrilled. I was so happy until, I mean, do I even need to say anything? This is the USS Flag aircraft carrier, okay? The thing is seven and a half feet long. I, I could lay down on that today, okay? That's, this is so incredible. I mean, look at those boys, how fully and perfectly happy and contented. This is the only toy that can bring about racial reconciliation, okay? I mean, this is, this is the holy grail of 1980s action figure beauty, okay? And I knew if I had this, I would be happy. I would be totally and completely fulfilled, and I would never need another toy again. Now, I never got one of these, so I can't speak to whether I would have moved on and wanted something else. Maybe this would have been it. But I doubt it. I doubt it because that's not the way it works, is it? And, you know, we can laugh. We can laugh at my immaturity. I can laugh at how silly that all seems now looking back to ever think that a toy would make you happy. But the truth of the matter is this. All of us, even today, all of us have something that we believe is the thing that would make us happy. All of us have something in our hearts and in our minds that we know if we had that thing, we would be fulfilled. And maybe it's not even a thing for you. It could be a relationship. It could be some kind of an experience or an event. And if that happened, if you could have that, if you could have him or her or it or whatever, then you'd be happy. Maybe it is a thing for you. Maybe it's a house or a car or, or some object, or, or maybe not. Maybe it's, maybe it's marriage. And you've looked and your friends are all getting married and you think, if I could just get married too, I'd be so happy. Or you're married and now all your friends are having kids and you think, if we could just have a baby, then we'd be happy. And you just know that thing, maybe it's a job or a promotion at your job or whatever it is. There's that thing that you just know, if I had that, then I'd be fulfilled. But the truth is just the same as with all of the G.I. Joes I wanted when I was a kid. That if you got it, it wouldn't be enough. That if you got it, it would not make you happy. That if you got it, there would be something more that you would decide you would want. That it might last for a little while, that it might sustain you and make you happy for a short period of time, but eventually, and probably sooner rather than later, it wouldn't fulfill that desire in your heart. Sometimes we look at really, really famous people, and we see all that they've achieved, and we think, if I could just be like them, then I'd be happy. And I, I, I ran across this quote. This is from Cynthia Heimel. I want to share this with you. She used to be a writer for The Village Voice, so she covered a lot of uh, really famous artists, actors, musicians, and she knew a lot of them from the time when they were first starting out, struggling artists, working so hard to become famous, and she saw them as they moved from unknown and obscure to well-known and famous, and listen to what she said. She wrote, I pity 
celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. She looked at all these celebrities. She saw how they wanted so badly to be famous. And they knew that if they just had that, they'd be fulfilled. And they got that. And she saw what it did to their lives. And it wasn't at all what they were expecting. And she added this. Listen to this. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. Now, is that true? Is that true that if we really got what we truly, truly desired, our deepest wish, that we'd all be totally and completely miserable? We don't believe that. I mean, for sure, we all believe that's why we want it, because we know this is the thing we want. We're going to look at Psalm 37, but as we get into this, and as we look and, and, and understand what David is trying to say here, as he wrote this psalm, I think it's really important for all of us to fully grasp this, to kind of get that thing in our minds. What is that thing for you? What is that thing in your heart or maybe in your mind that you believe would make you happy, that you believe would bring you fulfillment? And whatever it is, I I want you to just kind of hold that and think about that and think about how your life is aimed at finding that and how the choices and the decisions you make are pointing you in that direction as we unpack what David says here in Psalm 37. As he begins and he talks and he says this, Psalm 37 verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. That word fret that he starts with is actually a much stronger word than the way we would use it. We don't use the word fret a whole lot. Uh, When I hear it, I think of it as very kind of almost like a throwaway sort of a, you know, like kind of a genteel southern old lady. Like, don't you fret yourself? Or something like that. Um, it's It's not a forceful thing, but that's not at all what David has in mind. When David uses the word fret, this is a strong word. It's a word with a lot of passion. It's a word, actually, it means a a, a strong, strong, almost a rage. He's talking and, and he realizes as he addresses this issue of our desires and of the things that drive us, he understands that those things that drive us, those strong desires, can lead us to very strong emotions, can lead us to acting emotionally instead of rationally. And so when David starts out here, it's almost like he's kind of trying to talk us back from the ledge, kind of calming us down. And he says, don't fret yourself. Don't get so worked up emotionally. And then look what he says about evildoers and wrongdoers, because so many of us, what we do is we look around and we have this thing in our minds. This is the thing that will make me happy. And then we see the other people who have that thing. And we start to think in our minds, we deserve it and they don't right? This is the thing I want and he's got it. And that's not fair because he's a jerk. Because if you knew what he does, 
If you knew how he lived and he gets that and I don't, and she's getting married, that's so unfair. And they get to have kids, they're going to be horrible parents. That's not fair. And we look at this and those of us who are believers, who are Christ followers, we look around and we see people who could care less about God, who have no interest whatsoever in the Bible, and they're getting all these things that we would count as blessings from God, and that doesn't make sense at all. It's enough for some of us to almost want to walk away from following Christ. This was a crisis I had when I was in high school, that I had grown up in a, in a kind of a Christian home and thought I was supposed to follow God. And then I looked and saw these other people who seemed so much happier and seemed to have all the things I wanted. And they weren't following God at all. And in my mind, I was like, what's the point? Why am I following God if these people who aren't are happier? And David's telling us to not get worked up about that, to not feel strong emotions about that. He explains why in verse two, he says, for because for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. It's a matter of perspective, he's telling us. The issue is this, we see things so here and now. And we look around and it's easy to look around and see other people who seem so much happier right now. And they're getting all the things that we want. And our perspective is so focused on right now that we miss the point of what's truly going to last, what's truly eternal. And David says, no, you have to keep in mind all these things, all these things that you think are going to make you happy and they're driving you to, to, to rage, to anger, to jealousy, they will not last. Just like all those action figures and you got them and they were fun for a couple days or weeks or maybe even less time than that. Whatever it is that you're, you're yearning for, that you're desiring, it will not last. But that's hard for us to believe. That's hard for us to believe because we see these things and, man, we want them. And we're so convinced. And God is telling us one thing, but our hearts and our minds and our eyes are telling us something else. And it becomes actually a trust issue. Who do we believe? Do we believe our own eyes? Or do we, we believe what God is telling us? And that's why David says in verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Because this is not an issue necessarily of just what we do. This is an issue of trust. Who do we trust? Who do we believe? We're going to trust someone. We're going to believe someone to bring us happiness. And who is that? And then he says in verse four, and this is the verse I really want to key everything off of. Verse number four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I, I think this is one of the most misunderstood, misapplied, misrepresented verses in the entire Bible. Because at first glance, if you look at that, and you see that it says, he will give you the desires of your heart. That sounds like, like the secret, the, the, the secret trick, the magic words to getting what you want from God. In fact, I actually had somebody explain it to me that way one time. We were talking about uh, several years ago, I was, a, I was a public school teacher for many years. And it was a very safe job. It was very secure. 
Um, I felt like I was well paid and well taken care of. We had a home that we loved. And then God started working on my heart to go into full-time ministry. And we were struggling because we knew that it would throw everything we had into upheaval. And we didn't know if we'd ever get back to that place, you know, financially, materially, to that spot in our lives. And it was hard. And specifically, we were talking to one of our friends about our house, specifically. We don't know if we'll ever have a house like this again if we go into ministry. And the person said, very well-meaning, you know, if you follow God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Kind of like implying, you know, as long as you're doing what God wants, he'll give you a really nice house one day. Just follow him. He'll take care of that. But that's not at all, not at all what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that if you follow God, he'll give you anything that you want. What it's saying, and the key here is the first phrase, delight yourself in the Lord. The point, the key to all of this, if you miss everything else this morning, here, this part, When Jesus Christ is all that you want, you will have all that you want. When everything you do is aimed at knowing more of God, then you will be fulfilled. To get the desires of your heart, the desire of your heart has to be God. Now, why is that? I mean, that almost seems kind of, strange, kind of almost messed up. When I, many years ago, I was at a church where the pastor wanted to do this kind of special series uh, where he asked people to submit questions and he was going to preach a message where he just answered the people's questions that they had submitted. So for several weeks, he promoted it. Turn in your questions, turn in your questions. But then I think he was expecting something different from what he got. I I think he was wanting to answer kind of like technical questions about the Bible You know, like what does this three-headed dragon and the book of Revelation symbolize and stuff like that. And instead, the questions he got were these questions that people were really struggling with, really trying to figure out their doubts about faith and about God. And one of the questions said, why does God demand that we worship him? Isn't that selfish? And the, the pastor, I think he was kind of thrown by it. He wasn't expecting that kind of thing. And he basically told the person, whoever they were, it was anonymous, but he basically told him, just shut up. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And and maybe that's true, but come on, that's actually a pretty good question, isn't it? I mean, if we met a person who demanded that we worship them, we'd be like, what a jerk. Like, how could you do that? And, And so isn't it arrogant of God to demand that we worship him? Well, I I don't think we can look at what David's saying here without addressing that somewhat. So I'm going to try to give my best explanation of that for a much fuller discussion of that question, which is a very good question. I would highly recommend a book uh, by John Piper called Desiring God. Uh, And it's actually available online for free, the entire book at desiringgod.org. You can go there and download it. Uh, And all the themes we're discussing in today's sermon are much more fully developed in that book. But We don't have time to go through all of that. So here's my sort of shorthand answer to that. Is it arrogant or selfish for God to demand that we worship him? And the answer is no, not because because of anything about us, but because of something that's true about God. And the thing that's true about God is this. He is perfect. 
and he is holy. And he is the greatest and most wonderful and most beautiful thing in the entire universe. And he is the only thing that is perfect and wonderful. And so only when we look at him and describe our joy in him, and that's what worship is. It's giving worth or assigning worth to something or someone. And only when we're doing that do we feel true joy in our hearts. Because we were created for the purpose of worshiping God. See, we were made to give him glory. That's the whole reason we exist. Everything that is created is created for a reason. And basically, and and I know this is very basic, but everything that is created is created for one of two reasons. Either because someone wants it or someone needs it. Now let's think about human beings. God created us. Why? Did he need us? No. He's God. He's perfectly whole. He does not need us at all. So that means that God created us because he wants us. He created us for his pleasure, for his joy. And so we, in our very being, from our very creation, were created for the sole purpose of bringing God joy. And so when we do that, we are fulfilling the purpose we were created for, and that is the only thing that can give us true joy and true fulfillment. But there is a problem. And the problem is this. We were created to worship God. We were created to bring him joy. We were created to have a relationship with him. But we're sinners. And sin breaks the relationship between us and God. Sin comes between us and our true purpose because sin separates us from a holy and righteous God because we are imperfect and God is perfect. And if an imperfect person were to have a relationship with God, then God would no longer be perfect. And so by ourselves, there's no way we could ever have that relationship with God. But there's also a solution. And the solution is not for us to get better. The solution is not for us to become more perfect so that we can have that relationship with God. The solution had to come from God himself because he's perfect. And so what he did to fulfill the purpose we were created for was that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to earth. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ had no sin. And when he was crucified, he was murdered, he took our punishment so that we could be counted as righteous, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could go then to God and have that relationship. Not because of what we did, but because of what Christ did for us. And when we believe in him and when we trust in what Jesus did for us, then that relationship can be restored. Then we can go to God. Then we can worship him and we can fulfill our purpose. But we push back against that because that doesn't seem right to us. In our minds, in our human minds, we feel like there must be something we can do. There must be something that we can do to make ourselves better, something we can do to earn 
our standing with God or something we can do to make ourselves happy. But if you look at what David says, and let's look again back at Psalm 37. And as I read through this, I want you to look at what we do and what God does. Look at kind of English teacher nerd stuff here, but look at the verbs, okay? Look at who does what. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Did you see that? Did you see what we're doing there? Delighting, committing, trusting, being still, waiting patiently. It's sort of passive. It's sort of inactive almost, it feels to us. But look at what God does. He gives. He acts. He brings forth. God is the one who is acting. God is the one who is accomplishing our happiness. We believe and we get this message drilled into us that if we want to be happy, we have to make it happen on our own. That we have to go out and achieve what we want to get what we truly deserve. But that's not what God tells us. And this isn't just in Psalm 37. This is the message of the entire Bible from the very beginning to the very end. That God is the only one who can do this, who can bring us happiness, who can satisfy our soul. We don't get what we want by doing something different to get it. We get what we want by wanting the right thing. We delight ourselves in the Lord and we're fulfilled. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But if you fill that in with anything else, it doesn't work. If you delight yourself in your job, eventually you're going to burn out. You're going to get tired. Someone else is going to pass you by. If you delight yourself in your stuff, eventually it's going to fade. It's going to crumble. It's going to have to be replaced. If you delight yourself in your marriage, eventually one or both of you is going to do something that the other doesn't expect or wasn't hoping for. And there's going to be hurt and betrayal and your delight will be shattered. Only when you delight yourself in the Lord do you find that you get what you truly desire. Because that is the way you were made. That is the desire that was put inside of you before you were even born. Your heart cries out for a relationship with God. And only when you delight in him will you ever have what you truly desire. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. There's nothing sinful about wanting to be happy, about having desires. The problem is that most of us are desiring the wrong thing. And, and honestly, what we're desiring is much less than what God intends for us. We think that we can figure out a better way to be happy. And God is telling us what I have for you and the joy I offer to you is infinitely better than anything you could ever imagine. But because of our narrow right here, right now perspective, we don't see it that way. And so we chase after the temporary things when God is offering us something so much 
greater. When Jesus Christ is all that you want, you will have all that you want. So I don't know how this falls for you this morning. I don't know if you're someone who's been working really, really hard to try to achieve something. And maybe you've decided in your mind, and maybe, maybe you know, and it's something that's right there and it's always present and you're always trying to get that thing and you truly believe it's going to make you happy. Or maybe it's more subtle. It's within you. But if you look at your actions and the way your life goes, you would see, yeah, that's what I'm following after. That's what I'm trusting to make me happy. Maybe what you're trusting is just yourself. And maybe you've even realized that all of these things will never truly bring you happiness. Maybe you're despairing this morning because you got what you wanted and it didn't bring you the happiness you thought it would. And you're left wondering if anything could ever make you happy, could ever bring you joy. And so the question I think for all of us is this, are we fulfilling the purpose we were created for? Because that's the only way. That's the only way to find joy. It is possible. There is joy. There is fulfillment. There is happiness. But it does not come by chasing after stuff. It does not come through him or through her. It comes only through God. So as we put these questions for reflection up on the screen, I want you to ask yourself, what are you seeking after? What are you following this morning? Have you fully committed your way to following God, to seeking after him? Do you trust, do you truly believe that following God would bring you greater happiness than any other stuff? Are you fulfilling the purpose you were created for? We're going to move into a time of reflection. And I want you to think about and ask yourself these questions. How is your life bearing this out? What do you really want from life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we thank you. We thank you for creating us to worship you, the great and glorious and majestic creator of all things, God, the only one who is deserving of our worship, and that's you. And God, for some reason, you saw fit to create us and give us the joy of following you. But God, our hearts go so far astray. We've wandered and and followed so many other things. So today, Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you will change our desires, that you will change our hearts, that you will set our, our minds and our desires and our hearts on higher things, on you and on you alone. God, that, the, that we would be moved as a people desiring happiness, but desiring our happiness in you, a happiness and a joy that will last forever. We thank you for your son, for sending him to die for us so that we could have that relationship. God, please help us to follow you and you alone. In Christ's name I pray, amen.